Welcome to the Nurture Small Business Podcast. I'm your host, Denise Kagan, president of DCA Virtual Business Support. At DCA, we believe in small businesses and the families they support. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. Nikki Rogers is a transformation coach and the CEO of Bladen Group. She is an experienced management consultant who has worked across multiple industries and is passionate about creating sustainable organizations through people power change. Nikki loves to read and travel, and she is also the host of Women Thriving in Business podcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Denise. Glad to be here. And I'm so excited because I literally just recorded with you on the Women Thriving in Business podcast as well. So very excited to collaborate and and share thought leadership with you. (laughs) I love it. So I, a couple of things popped out. You are involved in some type of improv theater. Are you not? I am. I am on the board of the Washington Improv Theater, and I've been on the board three years, just got reelected to my second term. And this all started, I started off taking classes, um, improv classes. It was something I'd always wanted to do. It was super scary. I went to a free workshop and it was the most terrifying two hours of my life. And I also wanted to do it again. So (laughs) I went through four levels of classes there. And, you know, in many ways, I could say improv was a lifesaver. My son was a toddler at the time. Improv is great for dealing with toddlers because they live in a world of less pretend. And it actually helped me be a lot more present in my work life and my personal life. So I think improv is great, even if you never want to be on stage. But it it taps into, I think, a lost art of listening and really paying attention to others around you and being generous with your time and, and how you think about what others might need from you. And so that's why I decided to um, join the board. And um, it has been it has been great. Thank you for asking about that. No problem. You know, it's interesting because you explain that a lot of times I hear like, well, improv helps you with your leadership, but, you know, helps you with being able to communicate. But you explained it actually slightly different in that, you know, being present and listening, you know, so and those are all skills that, well, as a mom, of course, you need to hone those. But as a leader and a business owner, you need to to hone those as well. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, yes. It it does help with leadership, but the base of it is about communicating and relating to others. And and that's helpful no matter how you think of yourself. So even if you don't think of yourself as a leader, I think if you if you take an improv class, you'll start to identify areas where you can be a leader. So I, I think it's great no matter what you want to do. That's exciting. I'm gonna have to look into that for me. <laughs> oh, Highly wow. recommend it. Absolutely. And, and the organization does virtual, uh, have virtual offerings. So you can even take advantage of offerings at WIT. And they do um, a lot of workshops for corporations. Um, if you think again about communication and listening skills and being in a space where there's no phones, there's no computers, and it's just you and the other people who are on your team, it is a great way to explore that as well. And that's Washington Improv Theater. So just so our listeners know, that's going to be in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> Um, So, you know, the other thing that struck me as I was looking through your information is that you have several initials behind your name. Yes. (laughs) 
PMP, which is project management professional, CMAP, change management advanced practitioner. Tell me, you know, I, ha- I kind of have a rough idea what the PMP is, but what is the change management advanced practitioner? So that is a designation based on a, a really unique educational and development opportunity that my previous employer offered through the Georgetown Business School. And it was a way to really delve into this. At the time, it was a a burgeoning um, field of change management, organizational change management. So really focused on how do you impact transformation um, at an organizational level through the people part of it. So how do you lead change? How do you help people um, move through the kind of the change continuum, going from awareness to understanding to actual adoption? If you think about change in any aspect, so people resist change. People love to maintain the status quo, good, bad, or indifferent. So when you're introducing change, especially at an organizational level, you have to help them understand the what, the why, and the how. So what is changing? Why is it changing? And how is this going to be beneficial to them at an individual level as well as at the organizational level? And then how that change is actually going to come about. And that's not only what is going to happen to them, how they're going to be impacted by it, but what it is that they actually have to change in order to be successful in, in the future state of the organization. So that change management advanced practitioner designation is all about how you help lead organizations through change. So it sounds like certainly leadership as well as getting buy-in from the levels and ranks below leadership as well. Exactly. That is exactly what it's all about. And I think we've all seen change done poorly. Um, And that's typically when someone comes down from on high and they say, thou shalt do this new thing, right? Or thou shalt now do things in this manner. And if you've ever been in an organization where there's people who've been there for years and years and sometimes decades, they'll they'll just say, oh, we'll wait it out until the next leader comes around because we've been doing it this way for a long time. And we'll be here once this person with this great brand new idea has moved on. And so if you don't have the buy-in from really people who have a lot of relational power, even though they might not be, they might not have the title of leader or they might not be the highest ranking person, but they often have a lot of uh, relational power to make things happen or not happen or resist things that leaders in the organization want to happen. So yes, it is all about making sure that leaders understand how to communicate what the change is, um, how to lead through that change, how to manage any resistance that shows up because it's always going to show up. And then really thinking through the stakeholders that are going to be involved and what's what's important to them and how to get them to buy in, as exactly as you said, to this change that is going to occur. So I completely get why you've got the two certifications, because I can see components of project management in this as well. How do you go about identifying, not the stakeholders, I think that's usually relatively straightforward, maybe not always, but the ones you mentioned that have that high degree of relational influence. 
So I, I think that comes through, you know, I'm saying in a, in a very technical way, you can do network mapping, right? So you can actually, there there are ways and there's technology that you can use to actually map out the levels of influence within an organization. But, you know, it's always like, who's the person that's the go-to person when folks have questions? That person is probably a font of knowledge for that organization. So that's probably a good person to go to. Um, or, or to identify someone who has relational power. People who have helped others in the organization progress and rise into the ranks, those are people who tend to have relational power. You know, there's like these people who have almost, I'd say, a gravitational pull toward them. Everyone knows who they are. Everyone knows like this is the person you go to if you need to get things done. And people listen to them. You know, they're the people who may have the ear of leaders. I mean, I always I always like to share the example of when I was in undergrad, I worked in the uh, the chairperson's office for my department and I supported his secretary. And I was like, she was the most powerful person in that department. <laughs> <laughs> and people didn't and people didn't realize that, you know, some professors, they'd be new, they'd come in and they'd kind of like try to either, you know, ignore her or just kind of discount her position. And I'm like, you know, she's the person that arranges the, you know, back then it was folders of paperwork that had to be signed. She determines whether your paperwork is on the top of that pile or the bottom of the pile. <laughs> he manages his calendar. You might want to be nice to her. I mean, you know, I would see like everyone would obviously get their their due turn, right? But you could either be on the expedited list or not. And I was like, if you learn where power lies, then you learn how to navigate that. Same thing when I, um, my first job out of college, I was an internal auditor and we traveled around to different um, manufacturing facilities. And, you know, the list would include like the the comptroller, but the comptroller was usually there on a two-year assignment. It was a rotational management assignment, but the accounts payable clerk, oh, that person had been there for 25 years. They knew where all the bodies were buried. So we're doing an audit. You know, the AP clerk is probably the first person you want to go talk to because they know everything that's going on. They've seen it all. And so um, I think within every organization, you can start to identify those who have that type of power. So I probably jumped like nine steps ahead when you... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with, with asking about the identifying these relational influencers. So if you're coming into a company and you're consulting on change, where do you actually start? I'm sure I probably jumped way ahead of where you start. So the very first thing is identifying what the changes or what the transformation the leaders hope to achieve actually is. And digging in deep to really what that means. So someone may be getting ready for, you know, a great example is someone is acquiring another company or they're merging uh, with another company, right? And so on the surface, the change is, oh, we're going to put these two companies together and still be able to maintain all of our clients and customer service and all those things that are the metrics that go into deciding whether you're going to, you know, merge two companies. But if you take a step back from there, you have to actually merge two cultures. So you have to think back to what are the values of each one of these companies? What are the cultural norms? 
What are the standard operating procedures? How do you manage clients? How do you, you know, there's like these big picture things. And then there's into the details of how do you even invoice clients? How do you communicate to clients? Like all of those things, you have to identify that those are all the things that need to change in order to then start to map out a process to get from where that company is today to where they want to be you know, six months, nine months, sometimes, you know, these things take five years. Um, So just starting to think about all the components and pieces of what is changing in order to see the outcome that they want to realize. Wow. It kind of makes me think of all the times banks merge um, and they have, they bring on consultants like you to help them through that process. I mean, there's so many things, you know, do they have duplicate workforces? Can they do with just a single? And how do they either reassign people or, you know, wait through attrition or unfortunately lay off? That is sometimes the answer. Um, Have you ever helped a company navigate through like a big change like this? Not necessarily a merger, but certainly, you know, I, I think a really big one right now, especially is like a technology implementation. Mm-hmm. And so I worked with an organization that had 25,000 staff who were going to be impacted by this technology change. And you'd be amazed at how upset people get because you change the location of a button and the software that they're using on a daily basis. You know, people were concerned about their jobs. So, you know, if you think about, you know, if you tell folks that this system is going to make things more efficient, all of a sudden folks are going to think, well, are they going to need me? Is my job in jeopardy? Um, And so thinking through, again, what does this new structure look like? And so you you were just talking about the people. I think one of the key points is looking at the org charts. So if you're looking at an org chart in in the current state, what is that org chart going to look like in the new state? And so, for instance, in this situation, we're looking at a technology implementation. There was some rearrangement of like the number of frontline staff versus the number of supervisors versus the number of folks who were doing quality control. So just thinking through how is this going to impact the people? Then we had to think about the training component. And we were working in an environment where they actually worked on, they they basically had production quotas. So they actually had to do a a certain amount of processing during the day. And so if you think about that, you're you're telling folks that now you have to use this new software is going to slow you down in the short term. But, you know, later on, it's going to have greater efficiency. Well, if it's going to show you, slow you down in the short term, then you're not going to be able to make your quotas. Okay, now we need to work with management to say, okay, we need to relax the production quotas because there is going to be this dip in production over time. We were dealing with a unionized organization. We got to talk to the union. Like, I mean, there was a lot of layers and complexities that we had to manage just to say like, hey, there's going to be this dip in productivity and we're going to relax the rules for a moment as we're going through the different phases of implementation. This is going to be rolled out on a regional level. So there's a geographic component to it. And so, you know, the rules are going to be different for this location for three or six months. They're going to be different than they are at another location and then navigating all of that. So those are some of the complexities. My team was focused on the communication piece, the training piece, and then actually having folks on site 
that were able to um, help uh, the users navigate as they were going through these changes. And oh, by the way, we're dealing with customers and clients who want the same level of customer service that they're used to. So those (laughs) were all the pieces that we were navigating and dealing with something that you think is simple, which is implementing new software, right? But it's never that simple. So timeframe-wise, in this particular example, how long did it actually take to implement that software? That program or that project lasted from start to finish. It was about a five-year project. Oh, my. Um, When we actually started. And so some of that is development time and, and obviously the testing. When we started doing the implementation, we were scheduled to implement over, I think it was an 18-month period. We were doing, this is nationwide, as well as there were some international locations as well. And we actually were able to complete it six months early, which never happens. Um, But we were able to complete the kind of the rollout and implementation and get people up and running on the new system within 12 months. That's phenomenal. Yeah. So 25,000 people That's a huge organization. Is that the size companies that you normally work with? So it depends. So I do a lot of work with federal and local governments. And so the size, you know, can range from, and and actually that was a small organization (laughs) when you're dealing with the government. So it just depends. So that, that has been kind of my corporate. And then as I built my own business, still working a lot with the federal government, you know, when I'm talking about local governments, it's usually, you know, I would say less than 5,000 employees, but there's a range. I've also done a government client that had 300,000 employees. So, you know, it, it really just runs the gamut. And it's really about, you know, are we talking about a transformative initiative that's what I'm interested in. Are we talking about something that's actually going to transform, you know, the nature and the culture of an organization or transform the way they work? Those are the types of projects that I, I really like to uh, sink my teeth into. And do you work exclusively with just government entities? No. So I am industry agnostic. Again, it depends on the, the scope and scale of the project. I've worked with small consulting firms of 20 people. I've done some nonprofit work with, you know, an organization that may have a hundred people. So yeah, it, it, it just depends really. I'm more focused on the nature of the, the project versus the specific client profile. So what project stands out to you? Like this was like amazing, unique, fun. What can you give me here? <laughs> I'm like amazing and unique. Great, but with fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll stick with you. Amazing and unique. <laughs> All three is like the trifecta. Um, let's see. I mean, I you know the the project that I worked on with those twenty five thousand staff was great. I, w- I would say uh, I worked on a project a few years ago with helping to reactivate a hospital that had been closed down due to a natural disaster. And um, they were reopening in their own, you know, dedicated space after a decade of being kind of itinerant tenants across uh, different spaces. And so the magnitude of that type of project, the impact, on um, not only the patients and the staff that were a part of the organization, but also the greater community, that project, I I would say that that was an amazing project. 
I literally got goosebumps as you started talking about it, just feeling the emotion that probably came out of that. Yes, that was, that was a very impactful project. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So tell me who, without identifying the client, who has been your favorite client and just, you know, industry or size or, you know, whatever makes most sense to describe them. Hmm. Caught you off guard, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I would say where I have learned a lot was um, it's, it's a local government client that I've been working with. And one, it's just great to have a better understanding of your community and the resources that are available within your community. It has really opened my eyes to both what is available and then also where some of the challenges are. And so I would say it's my favorite just because it's helped me um, have a better understanding of the, the place in which I live. So that, that one would be my favorite at the moment. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and, and Nikki, so as a business owner yourself, what is your biggest challenge these days? Staying focused. So I, <laughs> I was recently working on planning and you know, I have all these great and grand ideas and I have a to-do list that is several pages long. And it just really struck me that I, I really need to focus on, you know, maybe three or four things at most. And if what I'm doing does not impact one of those three things that I've identified as my goals for the year, then I don't need to be doing it. And I need to put it in the parking lot. It's, it's still a challenge. But at least I know where I'm going. But I, I would say that has been my biggest challenge by far of feeling like I need to do all the things. But really, a lot of it turns into just busy work. And so just really being focused on what the goals are has been my challenge. And that is that is kind of my work to do that I'm focused on for this year. You know, that makes sense. I, I find myself all the time, you know, coming up with these great ideas and, and they are good ideas. The one thing that you just said is, does it lead to my main goals? Mm -hmm. And sometimes the connection's super loose. <laughs> Let's just say <laughs> there may be a connection, but it's not the most impactful thing. Right. Um, I think every business owner should have a parking lot. I agree with that. So Nikki, what should I have asked you that I haven't asked you already? I mean, how long you got? Um <laughs> <laughs> I love your personality. <laughs> Oh, I mean, you could ask me what I'm reading, which I'm always reading. I, I'm always reading multiple books at a time. Um, so, yes, you do. I did read that in the notes at the beginning is that you are an avid reader. What are you reading? What am I reading? I have so many books right now. I am actually this week I have been reading fiction. I have taken a break from all the other things, um, but I just finished Atomic Habits. I just finished Grit, which is a great book. Mm -hmm. um, I just purchased this book called Self-Made Boss that is supposed to be like a, an encyclopedia slash Bible for small business owners. And I found out about this through uh, the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business program, which we both went through. Mm -hmm. um, so that is on my list. Go back to the fiction one. I'm curious, what type of fiction do you read? I read a lot of a lot of fiction written by Black women is typically what I, I read. And then I also read a lot that is really around historical 
I'm going to, I'm not going to say historical fiction, but definitely period fiction. Gotcha. So I just finished a book that was set in like 1925 Harlem. Mm -hmm. Um, I read a lot of books that are set in different countries. So, um, you know, that I can get a sense of the culture because I'm always, I'm like curious about the culture of places. And a lot of times you get that through the fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, and it takes you back to like, you know, periods before I just read, I just finished a book that was set in the U.S. Virgin Islands, but before they became a part of the U.S. I did not realize that the U.S. Virgin Islands used to belong to Denmark, I believe. Mm. And there is, I'm bad with dates, but I believe it was around 1915 that there was transfer day and they went from being Danish citizens to U.S. citizens. but not really because of the way territory the the folks in the territories are treated but it was it was a great novel around that period of time and how the folks who were who lived there who were residents there who were how they felt about the change um and the difference between the US Virgin Islands and the British Virgin Islands and how they were treated and then really what happened after that transition and how development happened that really dispossessed some of the folks on the U.S. Virgin Islands of their land. So, yeah, it was it was sad and maybe maddening book, but also very, very interesting. And just describing that period of time that I that I knew nothing about. So I, I love books that showcase a period in time and give you a, a sense of what was going on then. And also from a very different perspective than what's typically written about. Sounds like I'm going to need to get the name of that book from you. (laughs) Well, Nikki, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show. I mean, you've talked about change management and certainly highlighted your expertise, plus all sorts of other interesting things, you know, improv and literature. So I really appreciate you having been here today. Well, thank you, Denise. This has been delightful. You asked me some great questions. Thank you. Before we sign off, how can people find you after the show? Yes. So a couple of different ways. My uh, main uh, business site is bladen-group.com. You can also check out all the things related to my podcast on womenthrivinginbusiness.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Nikki Rogers Official. And I would love to connect with anyone um, via LinkedIn. You can just find me at Nikki Rogers. Okay. And we'll make sure all of that information is also in the show notes. Great. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for today's Nurture Small Business podcast, where the focus is on business growth, technology, and people strategies to help your business thrive. At DCA Virtual Business Support, our focus is making your business operations run smooth so you can focus on growth. Reach out to me at denise at dcavirtual.com if you'd like to learn more.